You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. This may be a silly topic for a podcast, but too bad. That's what, call me silly then. Color me silly, shade me, tad bit silly. <clears throat> but I have a, an issue that, about the entertainment arts that is bothering me. It's depressing me. It's saddening me. It's irking me. And I seem to be in the minority. So I figured that's an opportunity to make a podcast so that I can speak an opinion that no one else seems to really be saying and probably no one will agree with. So let's do it. And that opinion is a simple one, so this should be a short podcast. God, I hope so. One of these days I'm going to say, I just want to make a short podcast on, and then it'll be with, it'll be short. Won't that be nice? But actually, you know, as an aside, people generally turn a podcast on in order to kill some time with someone talking. So they don't really want them to be that short because then it's almost not worth playing it because you want some time running on there while you're listening. So basically, if a podcast's not about 15 minutes or more, then you've failed. So I'm going to, I'm padding is what I'm doing right now. I'm just padding this podcast, pausing, waiting, making sure I I meet the 15 minute limit because there's really not a lot to say here, but I'll get to it. Okay. Here's the thing. Everybody early on, I don't know how many years ago now, what's it been, five years, six years, uh, when maybe longer, when Netflix went to streaming. I remember when Netflix started, I wanted it. It sounded amazing because I was very much into renting videos back in the day. And when they started, what, 15 years ago? I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, they would mail you DVDs. I think they even mailed VHS tapes maybe back in the day, but I remember when they mailed DVDs and you could get them for, you know, three days and then you mail them back and they gave you a post. And I thought that is so cool because they had a fantastic um, catalog of movies. And about 25 years ago, I went on a, I'm a huge movie fan and I, always had these books of all these different movies and I wanted to find and watch and rent and see pretty much every single Oscar nominated film, every single film that the different movie books that I bought gave four stars or more. They would go up to five stars. Those books back in the day, they, so they would go four, four and a half, five, those sorts of movies. I wanted to see any movies by directors that I particularly liked and it was hard to find them. Because in your local video stores, when you'd go to rent them, they wouldn't have them. And then you'd hunt and find a copy online somewhere. And uh, you'd have to buy it without having seen it. So I, I started, there were some movies that I really wanted to see that I just started out that way with. I said, you know what? I can't find this anywhere to rent but I really want to see it because it's the, it, got awesome. it was nominated for Best Picture and you know, 78 or something. And I, I'm just randomly, I don't, I can't think of any particular movies right now, but there were a lot of them. And so I would buy it. I would just buy it sight unseen to be able to watch the damn movie. Some of those movies I watched one time, wasn't that impressed and put it up on my shelf and haven't watched since. 
But what happened is I developed a gigantic video catalog. I have several shelves of VHS tapes, all of which sit there untouched now since I don't use my uh, – I do have still a VHS player, but I don't bring it out. It's not on my shelf in my living area, and I don't watch them. But I have pretty much if, – if, if there's a really good movie from the past, um, I might very well have it. If you would name it, I you could go back on my shelves, and it's probably there. And I do have some DVDs back there too, which I also don't watch anymore at all. And I have a Blu-ray DVD player on my unit here in my living area, but I do not play it. Uh, I never use it. I should really get rid of it. I should really disconnect it. But, I mean, just on the off chance, it's a, you know, oh, a DVD, let's watch it. But it just never happens anymore. You know, everything is streaming. Everything is streaming, and it's so much easier, and it's so much better. But you don't get that physical product, just like with albums. You don't get that thing to hold, that object to read. It's not as exciting. You don't get that object coming in the mail. You don't can't give it as gifts. You can't get a gift of a, of a movie or a CD anymore. I don't because I stream everything. But I look, I wouldn't go back. I love streaming. I think it's great. But it's just sad. It's a sad loss. But that's not what the podcast is about. The podcast is about... <sighs> I'll get to it. Hold on. Let me finish with Netflix. Netflix. Netflix back in the day when they started was exciting to me. And I never got a membership, but it was exciting because they had to rent every single one of those movies that back in the day prior to Netflix, I had to buy on VHS in order to ever see it. I had to look in catalogs and online or actually it wasn't online because back then there was no online, but I had to look in catalogs and otherwise find resources to buy VHS tapes via the mail. But when Netflix came along, you didn't have to buy them. You could rent the DVD and they would mail them to you and you could watch any movie you wanted. And Netflix was phenomenal, even though I never did get a membership, but the idea of it was so exciting and wonderful and fabulous. And the reason it was so popular is because any movie under the sun, they had it. They bought a copy. They found a copy of everything. So their catalog was fantastic. And their selection, it was like, if you want to watch a movie, rent it on Netflix. Any movie, you think of it. They have it, get it. And so it was like, wow, imagine a world where you can just see any movie you want in your home. Now, you had to wait however many days for them to mail it to you and mail it back. So it wasn't instantaneous, but it was available. Well, then Netflix started streaming. And now I I think they still do DVD rentals. Uh, I think they do. But when Netflix really took off and really became popular and really made money, it was not with the DVD rentals, although they took off quite well with that. But when they exploded, it was with the streaming. And that's when I got it. And everybody to this day says, Netflix and stay home and Netflix. Well, now, of course, we're all staying home. But And everybody acts like, oh, you just watch Netflix. You just watch Netflix. So when I got Netflix, I thought, here we go. I finally have Netflix. Me, a big movie lover. I should have had this a long time ago. But, of course, the reason I didn't is I had an old TV 
Well, it's a plasma TV. It's a big screen. I got it in 2010, but it didn't have, it's not a smart TV. So there was no way to stream with my TV. So it wasn't until I got an Apple TV that enabled me to stream that I was able to get Netflix. So it took me a while to catch up to speed because of the TV I got before other people were streaming Netflix before me, even though I usually am on top of that stuff. So then I got Netflix and I realized it stinks. There's no selection. You know that great selection they have with DVDs? That's only for renting DVDs from them and you rent them by the movie. Or I think the membership was however many rentals a week you get, something like that. I forget, but I think maybe you get so many rentals per week with your monthly fee. But with the streaming service, since you can stream unlimited, since you can watch anything they have at any time, that dictates their selection. That is to say they roll movies in and out of their catalog for streaming, and they stink. I mean, they very rarely have any good movies from the last year or two. They don't get many new updated releases. You know, at least HBO and these pay services on cable still get newish movies. They put out the bucks and value having at least, I don't know, three, four, five movies every month that are new. They're always the hits now, so they're no good either. For example, in a couple weeks, HBO is getting Joker. I mean, weren't we all jokered out? I mean, Joker, 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 brain dead. And now we've got to have to see the ads all the time on HBO until they finally premiere that sucker. And then hopefully that can fade into the past. But the point is they got Joker. I mean, that's HBO. You know, I mean, I guess Netflix got one of the Avenger movies a year ago or something. Um, but Amazon Prime gets more of the movies. You want to talk about a service that gets more newer releases, Amazon Prime pays for the newer releases. Netflix, no. Nah. So what is Netflix? Why is everybody watching it? I mean, if you search a given director on Netflix, you find nothing. There's nobody there. <laughs> like you say, Alfred Hitchcock. Now, again, back in the day when Netflix started, if you looked at their catalog and searched Alfred Hitchcock, every single Alfred Hitchcock movie, they had them all. And if you wanted to watch, have an Alfred Hitchcock festival, say, mail me these three Alfred Hitchcocks. And they would come. And when you send them back, mail me three more. You could watch every single Alfred Hitchcock. Netflix had them for rental on DVD. But now, with their streaming service, if you want to do a, hey, I want to binge Alfred Hitchcock, they don't have anything. I mean, I haven't exactly looked right now, but I'm, guess, I'm guessing they don't have a single movie or they might have one or two. So the thing that was so exciting about Netflix was if you wanted a movie, Netflix had it. Well, once they went streaming, it's not like that at all. In fact, most of the movies they have are trashy, cheesy things that weren't in the cinema or were in and out real fast that nobody wants to see. And occasionally you'll get some good old movies that they have, but they're old. You know, uh, they don't even have a lot of great old, old movies like from the 30s or 40s. They, they just don't have a very good selection at all of movies. So why is every, everybody saying Netflix and chill, Netflix and chill, date of Netflix, bring a girl over, watch Netflix. I binged all weekend. Well, what are they binging? Well, here's the thing. They're binging all of these series, TV series. is. Everything about Netflix is just like Hulu, is just like everything else on television. 
which is these serial shows. Whether it's an actual TV series that has multiple seasons, say American Horror Story, or The Sopranos on HBO that really kind of kick-started the whole craze. Um, HBO is a big culprit in this, in this thing, and I say culprit because, look, I love movies. There's a big difference between a television serial, a multi-part show, and a movie. And even though, okay, you get used to the characters and they can draw you in, and it's, and it's certainly you can do more exposition and more background and more storytelling when you have eight shows to work with, you know, eight hours of programming versus a traditional movie length of two hours. What you find with these serial programs is every season of one of them, whether it's Game of Thrones or anything else, House of Cards, <laughs> Boardwalk Empire, um, there's at least one or two episodes that are clearly filler, where because they had to create eight episodes at least, they forced some. And also the quality is just wildly inconsistent. <clears throat> precisely because they use different directors, different writers. <clears throat> it is a mishmash of creative processes. There's no consistency. This isn't the vision of one artist. This isn't one person's view created and directed and presented and edited. It's multi-people involved here, tons of hands in the pot. And I just find it... Uh, frustrating um, that people just buy into this and think it's so wonderful when it's kind of like <clears throat> being sold a generic product as, as good as being told it's as good as the brand name that you know is higher quality. It's getting a cheaper product, a sleazier product, a less quality product, but everybody's buying it and thinks it's great. And everybody tells you you have to watch it. Now, look, some of them are quite good. I mean, I bought into Mindhunter because of David Fincher. I bought into Boardwalk Empire because of Martin Scorsese. But they bailed after the first two episodes. Sometimes they come back and direct the conclusion, too. But they're not involved in the rest of it. But their involvement in making it to begin with sucked me in. And overall, look, I stopped watching Boardwalk Empire uh, after the second season. I stopped watching House of Cards, another David Fincher involvement. Uh, I think before the conclusion of the second season, I lost interest. Uh, Mindhunter. When you think of David Fincher, man, he's really killed a lot of his time making those. And he's such a good film director. But Gone Girl came out in 2014. His new movie, uh, I think it's called Make Mank Manko or from David Mankiewicz. Or Joseph Mankiewicz, the producer of uh, Orson Welles' um, Citizen Kane, and it's the story of the making of Citizen Kane uh, viewed through the prism of the skull of uh, Mankiewicz. <clears throat> I think it might just be called Manx or Mank. Anyway, uh, that's coming out this year, so he is finally wrapping another movie. I can't wait. Uh, it was a screenplay written by his father, actually. Um, 
I think Mankiewicz is played by Gary Oldman. And I don't even know the guy who plays Orson Welles, some some actor that I probably have seen before, but I no no big name. Um, but um, so we'll see. It's black and white. He made it in black and white, which is he shelved it because the studio didn't want. It. He, he was creating it like ten years ago. His father is now dead. Uh, he was making it back when his father was alive, and the studio did didn't wouldn't release it in black and right, white, which is he wanted to insist on. So he shelved it. <clears throat> so now it's ready to go, and it's going to be released in black and white. So I'm looking forward to that David Fincher movie. But he's been he's been treading water and and using so much of his very very valuable and dwindling uh, directorial excellence by by doing House of Cards and then Mindhunter and other things. I'm sure, but so Netflix kind of drew him into that stuff, and. We've lost a great filmmaker because of it for many years. Now, he usually takes a few years to make his next movie, but six, six years, that's a lot between movies. And these, again, these serial programs don't have a finite story, and if they do, they drag it out. It goes on too long. You get into too many tangential characters. It's very uneven in terms of the direction and the quality of it. Um, now, they're well-made. They're well acted. You get a lot of major stars in them. They certainly rake in the Golden Globe Awards and the Emmys and things. Um, it's the wave of the present. It's the wave of now. It is what is done. Um, it's the thing everybody loves. Everybody streams. Everybody binges. So on and so forth. So shame on me. But I don't like them. Okay, I just watched The Outsider, the Stephen King uh, adaptation. Very well done, but once again, um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his name, the the actor, comedian, now director, who does Ozark and other things. He plays a main character at the beginning of that one, gets killed off, but he directed the first two episodes, and he's a very good director. He actually will very likely go on to direct more, uh, and maybe even a, a some uh, top-notch uh, theater films if they ever go if we ever go to the theater again after the virus, which I think we will. I'm kidding, but um, uh, just Jason Jason Bateman Jason Baten, Bateman is really a, quite a good director, and he did an excellent job with the first two episodes of The Outsider, and after that, the direction was okay. And I love a lot of the actors in The Outsider, so the acting was really good. And it was really well done. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was disappointing. They all are. They go on and on and on. And guess what? Most movies, two-hour movies, are disappointing in the ending. It's very, very hard to wrap something up in a way that's satisfying. That's why the 70s movies still are so great. They just did a, in the 1970s, they said, you know what? We're not going to make a happy ending. We're going to make a tragic ending. And so you saw like Chinatown and The Godfather, you know, where everyone's dead. <laughs> and uh, except for Michael, but the door shuts and it's dark and spooky and he's a bad man, you know. And um, you just got these movies, so many of them that came out where they said the, the lead character can die. It's okay. The, uh, you know, the couple doesn't have to end up together. It's okay. And it really was a breakthrough in cinema where tragedy, tragedy is cool. <laughs> and, um, but 
it's hard, man. It's hard to wrap everything up in a satisfying way. And um, that's why so often when they make movies, they change the endings from the book that they're adapting it from because they want to somehow please the audience more. And it frustrates the authors and it frustrates the fans of the authors. And, you know, Hollywood wants to make their money. They want the people coming back for more. They want a good word of mouth. And they know that people like a happy ending. So they do that still to this day, you know, ruining what's supposed to be much more stark and depressing, but also realistic and believable. And so these long serials, they go on so long that, of course, they're going to disappoint in the end because endings are tough. Endings are tough to pull off. But my real problem with them isn't so much that they take so much of a time investment or there's so much filler that they always inevitably pack into all of these. It's the fact that they are detracting from the creative genius of so many good actors and directors and writers. And I want these people to be focusing their talents on something that is harder to do, which is do a really good story in just around two hours. You know, and if you want to make a long movie and make it three and a half, hey, look, Scorsese just did it with The Irishman. And you can get that on Netflix. And I don't have any problem with direct release of movies to Netflix, by the way. And Netflix is starting more of that. They're producing their own movies, and they're pretty damn good. Like Marriage Story, like The Irishman, like, you know, Two Popes that they have on there now. And Amazon Prime is doing that, too. And I like that. I would prefer that these streaming services create their own movies, like HBO has done for years as well. They do both. They create their own movies like Bad Education, a pretty decent one they just put out with Hugh Jackson and, um, and Alice and Janie, and it was a story of the corrupt school district that, where the superintendent of the schools was uh, uh, extorting, not extorting, uh, uh, why am I forgetting the word of when you steal money, but um, stealing money from the school district, <laughs> millions over the years, um, and finally gets busted. It's a good movie, very well acted uh, I'd say seven five is what I'd give it. It's worth worth your time. That's on HBO. So they're still making movies, um, and they make those TV serials. Uh, I I just like the movies, and I think it's because it's a harder task. You've got to keep someone's interest like riveting, and don't want to have any down patches because you only got two hours to work with and you have a cast that you have to, you know, all of them have to come in and go out and matter in that period of time. And you've got to pull off an ending all in one sitting and um, the music and everything that you do can be top notch. You These long serials, you might get the first episode done that way or you might have moments throughout that are done that way. But it is nearly impossible to think that you can do eight hours or 10 hours of cinema-like shooting and, 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 and creation and have it all be a work of art, like top-notch. Like, my God, you can tell the work they put into this. David Fincher, for example, that's the way I feel about his movies. Really, from the opening frame, the opening credits, just look at the credits of some of his movies. I mean, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, etc. I mean, you just see the stylistic nature of the way he does everything and the music. You know, he gets the, the composers to really work in every scene. And that is movie making to me. That is cinema. It is an art form that is about perfection of creation of every shot and every performance. And the greatest movies that hold up 
are the ones you can watch 20 years from now, 30 years from now. The reason I bought so many of them and have them on my shelves and VHS tapes is they can hold up the repeat viewings. Why? Because they weren't just shot and thrown out there the way they do these eight-hour series. They, they, can't, they don't have the time to make them perfect. They've got a schedule. They've got to meet a certain amount of shows, and they're creating them, they're writing them, and they're putting them out there. And there's just no way that it all really means that much because the writers were just pulling it out of their ass. There's no way that every shot was exactly what the director wanted or the cinematographer wanted. There's no way the actors love every single line and performance because they're just churning it out. It's a TV series. It's a TV series. And I've never liked television. I've never been a big TV fan because the thing about a movie is the shots are calibrated. The lighting, they wait for times, they scout out where they're located, they do casting sometimes for months before they decide who's going to get a role because once you film it and edit it and put it out there, that's it. And it's two hours and that's it. And you're stuck with it. And so when you get a great one that's made like a work of art, you can watch it again and again and again. And guess why? Because so much effort and work was put into it. The reason it holds up is because those people busted their butts. They took their formidable talent and, and ratcheted it up to the highest level and worked an enormous amount of hours and finalized a product and believe in it. And they put it out there. Now, this is not every movie. I recognize that. But here's the problem. You've got some of the best directors and actors and writers working in these serial shows. And their talents should be spent on taking a year or two or three like David Fincher used to do to make one great movie. I would much rather have one great movie from Martin Scorsese or, or you know, David Fincher or any number of directors and writers and I would much rather have one great, memorable, forever movie performance by, you know, I don't even know who my favorite actor is today. I don't know, Clive Owen. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Philip Seymour Hoffman's dead. So <laughs> I would much rather have one great, memorable, forever performance by one of my favorite actors than him put in two or three eh performances in these serials on, on these shows. Um, I just think of cinema as art and you've got the most talented people, in my opinion, sort of throwing away their talent by doing these serials that are okay, but you're never going to watch again. They're never going to hold up because who has eight hours to give again to something? I mean, and are you going to watch the first hour of House of Cards from the first season again? No. And that was David Fincher directing that. You know, but if he made one great movie with those those two years of his life or however long he threw into House of Cards, three years, you know, we, we it's something you could watch again and again and again and and just be in awe of the, of the greatness of it and how each shot is so perfect. And it's just so rare that they pull that off in these TV serials, even f and if they do, it's always just the first episode or two. It's never the last episode. Those are always disappointing. And look, the masses, and I'm not denigrating the masses, but the masses love to sit and stream because they're on their phones while they're watching it. They're getting up and going into the kitchen. They're going to the bathroom. They're letting it play. They're missing half of it. 
They just want something on. So they put it on and Netflix plays the next one and the next one and they just let it go. And they watch most of it, but they don't watch all of it and they're not really absorbed into it. And they like that. The masses have ADHD, attention deficit disorder. They have it. The masses aren't really interested in an hour and a half of perfectly created stuff that from the moment you hit play, you've got to concentrate or you'll miss it. That's too much work for the masses. They want this shit that just rolls on and sort of overwhelms them and then they can go, it was so great, nine. That's the other thing. Every single one of these serial programs on whatever service you're talking about, whatever network, they all get nines and tens now. If you look, they're all apparently fantastic. Every single one of them is the greatest thing that's ever been made. Just like all the blockbusters, every single Avenger film, which they all suck. They're all tens. Oh, Endgame was the greatest. Oh, my God. I want to watch it backwards. It's so great. This is the masses. So they're the ones streaming and streaming and streaming. But most of that crap isn't worth your time. It's too much excess padding, boring crap. And great artists are wasting their talents on filler. And I wish they would just concentrate on telling one story. The challenge is doing it well in a short period of time. And here's the final thing that I love about movies is unlike a serial where it's going one episode to the next to the next and you pretty much know unless they kill a character off, he's got to come back because he's the lead character. If it's the lead character, you know he's going to be in each show until the end. He might die at the end, but... In a movie, it's just one sitting. You don't know if he lives to the end or not. You don't know if he's going to die halfway through. Look at look at uh, Janet Lee in Psycho. She was a big star. Everybody assumed it was going to be a movie with Janet Lee in it. She gets killed in the shower in the first reel, and everybody's like, "What the f?" The genius of Alfred Hitchcock at work. This is what you can do in movies. You can't do in these serials. You get people. S- Sitting down, they don't even know who the lead character is, what they're following. They take a while to get into it. Once they're in, they're sucked, and then it ends. Boom. And you tell a story, and it's very affecting, and it's hard to do that. But the fact that you have to start and end one story in one sitting, and that's it, and that's what you're putting out there, is genius. It's a challenge. It's hard. And when it's done right, it's wonderful. And you cannot touch that on these serials. They're not really cinema. They're not really movies. No matter how many great directors do them, how many great actors do them, it's a whole different genre. It's something else. It's not movies. Why don't I love them? Because that's not movies. They might look like movies. They might sound like movies. They might have directors that do the movies. They might have actors that do the movies. They are not movies. They are some other form of entertainment. And it's one that is kind of distant and convoluted and numbing and too much. And the masses like it because they don't really want a genius great movie. They don't really find that all that exciting. They don't appreciate them enough. Cinema lovers understand what makes a movie great. That's partly why they like it's kind of like being a classical music fan. There's a You have to be a select type of music listener to really love classical music and to appreciate it. You know, I like some classical melodies, but I'm not a classical music fan, and I never will be. You know, I find it 
kind of dull. I find it, I know it's complex and challenging to write and all that good stuff doesn't do anything for me. But the people that know a lot about it, the people that learn how to play classical instruments themselves and studied all the classical composers, they generally, a lot of them don't like any other kind of music. They love that kind of music so much and they think it's the only music that exists. And I respect that. And I respect the fact that they have a knowledge and a level of, uh, you know, intimacy with this art form that I don't. And uh, so the reason I don't appreciate it is I don't have that same level of knowledge or intimacy with that art form. And I, ex- I respect that. Um, I would never go around saying classical music fans are silly. Hey, let's all just stream rock and roll, you know. Uh, and I just, but I'm not saying that movies are like classical music, but there is a certain level of knowledge about cinema and a certain level of appreciation for it as an art form that I think is you have to kind of get into and tap into to really appreciate just how good they are and how wonderful a great movie can be. And I know they can entertain almost anybody, but so can these serials apparently. And uh, they're just different forms of art. And if you don't see that and if you can't appreciate that, then you know, then you'll probably love Netflix and you'll probably love Amazon Prime and you'll love all those TV shows on all those programs and you'll love getting lost in some new thing as much as you would watch uh, a new movie. And you're probably also not someone who knows who directed any of that shit. You probably don't know who directed any of the episodes of any of those serial programs you watch. You don't even know who David Fincher is. You probably don't really care about that type of stuff. Because you're not into cinema as art, so therefore you don't think there's that much of a difference between. In fact, you probably prefer an eight hour serial show that you can just sort of get lost in where you know all the characters to a movie, uh, which requires you to focus more in a shorter period of time. I, I really believe that that's, that's the, it's a conflict going on here in a way. We don't recognize it as a conflict, but it's kind of like a mini war for the hearts and souls and minds of our viewing public? Are we going to feed them this other stuff and tell them this is movies? This is the wave of the future. This is what you should be watching. Are we, are we going to give them blockbusters in the cinema, which is all special effects, and tell them this is movies, this is what you should be watching? Or are we going to give them good stories with good characters, well put together, well shot, with good music and good editing, from a director who knows how to do a great movie. Are we going to give them that? And that's what I'm hoping we get more of. And so I hope that this craze of streaming doesn't destroy the art of movie making. That's my that's my concern. And that's why I wanted to make this podcast, just to put my two cents in. And oh, looky, I reached a... Uh, uh, a time it's 30 it's going to be 35 minutes that's almost perfect oh, good work ray good work i pat myself in the head all righty take care stay safe stay out of harm's way with the virus and i love you yabba da boop